Could financial literacy in schools actually be a real thing? It is gaining traction, and we will explain why and where to find the best financial literacy resources. Plus, we have Dr. Brad Klontz here back for his second appearance and the results of his Instagram poll to the Money Friends audience. That and so much more on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown-Up podcast coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. I am Dr. Brad Klontz, a financial psychologist coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. I'm so jealous. I want to go skiing. All right. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape, like Dr. Brad Klontz. We break those stories down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. This episode of Money with Friends is sponsored by Tiller, your financial life in a spreadsheet automatically updated each day. Go to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF for a free trial and 20% off your first year. And of course, you're supporting our show. And we support the fact that you, Dr. Brad Klontz, are here with us for your second show. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm super excited to be here. I love obviously conversing with my friends about money. So thank you for having me. We taped this live in front of a Facebook Live audience, and one of our audience members was asking you in our sort of behind-the-scenes chatting, what exactly is a financial psychologist? Tell us more about that and what you do. Sure, yeah, it is a strange thing, and if it's the first time you've heard of that, I'm not that surprised. Um, But essentially, I'm a clinical psychologist who um, trained very classically, and then when I got out of grad school, I owed a bunch of money for student loan debt. I'm sure some people can relate to that. And um, at that particular period of time, I saw people make one of my friends made $100,000 trading stocks and he knew nothing about the stock market. And I thought, what a brilliant strategy for me to get out of debt. So I I sold everything I owned. I put it all in the stock market. And then three months later, the tech bubble burst. And I was, it was devastating, Bobby. I mean, I was embarrassed. I, you know, I'd lost all my money and and I grew up relatively lower. My mom says we were middle-class except lower. So I grew up down there. So I was, I was very anxious about that. Um, and so I looked into the field of psychology to try to figure out like, what, what is the psychology behind these types of money mistakes? What is the psychology behind gr- me growing up poor and trying to find my way to climb that socioeconomic ladder? And there really wasn't n- anything done. And so I sort of joke within the matter of a couple of weeks, I became the world's leading expert in financial psychology. But, you know, 20 years later, um, I am and I, and I conduct a lot of research in this area. So I do a lot of research on how do our beliefs around money, our upbringing around money, um, how does that impact our relationship with money, our income, our net worth, our financial behaviors? And so we've there's a growing body of research around how powerful our psychology and our early experiences and our upbringing, whether we grew up poor, or wealthy, uh, rich, um, all these things lead to beliefs that have a profound impact on our financial behaviors and our financial results. So it's it's a fascinating area of research. It's growing. Um, and it's something I'm quite passionate about. So I, I work directly on the research side. I'm also a, a certified financial planner. I own an asset management company. So I work with people directly in that area. And then, of course, I love to, to, to do my best to help educate. So And you do a lot of that. And you pick this headline. Before we get to it, let's see which one of our friends is here with us today. This is Gertrude, room mom over at the Stacking Benjamins Facebook basement group. I just like hanging out and chatting about the news. That's why I tuned into Money with Friends. All right. You want to start off there, Brad? Yeah. Let me just pull it up here. Sorry. My 
No worries. We're going to be talking, um, by the way, about financial literacy, um, which, as you just heard, is something that um, Brad is incredibly passionate about. And the story is from the New York Times. This is a problem with live TV, right? Let me just start it off a little bit. It starts, um, it's by Ann Carnes. And the headline is, More States Require Students to Learn About Money Matters. All right, you can take it now. I'm there, yeah. So a growing number of states are requiring students to study money matters in high school, the Council of Economic Foundation um, Education found, reflecting a broader realization that people are responsible, quote, people are responsible for their own financial future. And I want us to talk about that, Bobby. The head of the group said that high school students in 21 states must now take a personal finance course in order to graduate, the nonprofit council reported this week, a net gain of four states since it last studied two years ago. Five states, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio, and South Carolina added the prerequisite. One one state, Florida, dropped its requirement. What's up with that? Yeah, I know. We got to talk to Florida. Nan J. Morrison, the council's president and chief executive, said she was heartened by the overall findings. The council promotes economic and personal finance education in kindergarten through high school. Personal finance classes typically cover topics like budgeting, saving, credit scores, the cost of borrowing, interest rates, and paying for college. Growing interest in financial education, Ms. Morrison said, is driven by concern about student debt, as well as the rise of the gig economy and the shift from employer-provided pension to market-based retirement accounts. Recent research suggests that financial literacy is lacking among United States high school students. One in five American 15-year-olds doesn't understand basic concepts, financial concepts, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics. All right, so let's just pause there and talk about that a little bit. Um, picking up where you wanted to, that we, people are that they the head of the organization is saying people are responsible for their own financial future. So this is a big move away from some people. You know, there's some can sometimes be a lack of sort of owning it when it comes to our own finances. And there are absolutely often macroeconomic things that affect our money. That's a reality. So I'm not saying that everyone starts at equal. We all start at different, different points in life. We all face different circumstances. So there's a portion that is not in your control. And I want to be clear that we are understanding and empathetic of that. Um, not everyone starts in the same place. That said, they are saying here, people are responsible for their own financial future. Yes, right. And, and so, you know, this is such a... Um, profound transformation that has happened in our culture. And it sort of happened behind the scenes. So what what happened, like for my grandfather, he literally did not have to worry about his financial future. The systems were set up to take care of it. He got a pension from General Motors um, that promised to pay him. And upon his death, my grandmother, he had the, he had Social Security. So, so literally, he had to take no action to save money to fund himself in retirement. And this is the way that it was structured for a lot of people in the United States. But subtly what's happened over time is those pension plans have, have been removed. And the, the interesting thing about a pension is the company has the responsibility to fund um, the pensioners. But all that has shifted to employee sponsor or employer sponsored plans that where it's it, the onus is put on the employee so that 401k, for example, you can contribute or not. It's not like a mandatory requirement. You have to be aware of it. You, it's up to you to make sure you have investment choices in there that meet your needs, that aren't too risky for you, et cetera. 
all this has been put and shifted from the government and companies to the individual. At the same time, we haven't done anything to educate individuals around this shift, around what it means and around how to take care of themselves. So that's why I see this. I totally agree that that is now put on the individual, but it's really important to see it in that historical context because you could be left thinking that, well, what's, you know, what, what's wrong with all these quote idiots not taking care of themselves? Well, hey, 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 all the rules have changed. All the rules have changed and we haven't done a great job of telling people the rules have changed. So it's no wonder people are, are sort of behind behind the times with this. I completely agree. Let's read a little bit more of the article. It goes on to say, um, does personal finance instruction help students make better decisions? And for example, um, it says a recent study from Montana State University found that high school students who were required to receive personal finance instruction were more likely to make smarter decisions about paying for college. Students were more likely to choose less expensive financing options, apply for, for aid and get grants, and less likely to carry credit card balances. It also reduced lower-income students' need to work while in college, which could help them complete their degrees. Um, and that's really important because one of the uh, crazy things that I have learned recently about student debt is a lot of it comes without the degree. Sometimes people get pulled into colleges that they can't necessarily afford or that are not a fit for what they want to learn and they take on this debt, but then they don't necessarily get the degree and then they don't certainly in the end go through and follow through with a job that will then pay that debt and give them the life that they thought they were going to get. Absolutely. And that's that's another one of those cultural givens that we have to relook at. Um, it used to be that you could get a college degree in anything and it would give you a huge leg up in the workforce and you'd get higher pay and you'd get opportunity for positions that would have never been there. The rules have all changed on that too. So there's many more people have college educations and now it really needs to be more of a business decision as you're entering into college, which is a whole lot to ask an 18 year old who may not exactly know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. But just another example of a huge cultural shift that requires us to look at things very differently. Yes. We put this question out to our Instagram um, friends and we asked them and I think you're going to get this one correct, Dr. Brad. We asked them, should financial literacy be a required subject in school? And the choices were, of course, or meh. Where do you think our money friends came down on that one? I'm going to go 75% yes. And and with some concern for them, eh, because people might be concerned about what would that replace and what other sort of educational opportunities might be lost. That's my guess. Well, you know what? You, I'm going to call it a victory for you because you were right. And I like the fact that you were concerned with the Met people. The good news is that um, literally 2% said meh. And we had a lot of people participating in this poll. So I like our, going out to, look, it's a selective audience. These are people that are our friends, our listeners answering. So they obviously are interested in money. And so it's not surprising that they might be more supportive of having financial literacy in school than the general population. Um, and then I asked, tell us more about what you think. And um, you have some of those answers. Yes, I do. So Made Very Good said, if you use something daily, it should be taught in school. I am the real spoon said, parents aren't always equipped to share this kind of education. Trinidad Ashland said they teach subjects that the kids don't use out of high school, teach them everyday skills instead. York and Bell said it definitely should be. The basics shouldn't be a shell shock in college. Um, Stephen um, dot F88 said, yes, but this doesn't mean replacing seemingly abstract topics that are important in college. And Logan Barrett said a little bit of financial literacy can go a long way. I like that one. Yep. 
We also want to share some of the financial resources that they do give in this New York Times article. In addition to the Council for Economic Education, curriculum sources include the National Endowment for Financial Education, the Federal Reserve, and the Jumpstart Coalition. And it's interesting because a lot of people kind of dismiss these sort of big government websites like the Federal Reserve. And I personally, and I've talked about this and people think I'm crazy, but I think the IRS website is very good, irs.gov. Those are good resources to explain a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah, I, to- I have to really agree with you on the IRS.gov. It sounds like a terrible place to go. But they actually do an incredible job of, of answering important questions in a way that makes sense. So yeah. I-, I agree with you. Um, and before we wrap up this section, let's just see if we have any of our Facebook friends here. Um, we did talk before about home ec. Um, you had that, Dr. Brad, when you were growing up. We have Danny here kind of joking. He says, great point. I learned sewing in home ec. What did you learn in home ec, Dr. Brad? Yeah, so I, sewing definitely, um, which I never really perfected. But they also had us learn to balance checkbooks, so that was that was interesting. So at a very you know small level, um, but that actually was a skill that I, I felt fairly competent in when I got my first uh, checking account. Um, but they took all those out of the curriculum, and so this has been sort of a push and and a, and a need that's being seen to start educating people um, in, in a really important area because they do get slammed in college, and I'm sure you, we've all heard stories of people um, going to college on campus and getting a water bottle and a t-shirt and a credit card and running it all up within a matter of a month. So by not having that education, it really does set our children up for hardship. And we do these days have tools, which is nice. We don't have to, you're of course welcome. If you're into just writing checks the old fashioned way, um, that's great. Um, by the way, we have um, Sarah here with us. She says she learned how to cook an egg inside the toast. Okay. Um, these are all very valuable skills that we need skills. to have back in home ec. Come on, bring home ec back. Home ec, cooking eggs and learning to write checks. Okay. So you can write checks the old fashioned way, but Personally, we here at Money with Friends like to um, keep things in spreadsheets a little more organized. We can see a lot more about what's going on. And that's why we love working with Tiller. Money with Friends is brought to you this episode by Tiller. It helps you manage your money 10 times faster in a spreadsheet. It's the only service that connects your banks to Google Sheets and Excel with your daily spending, transactions, and balances. Unlike financial apps that force you to compromise, spreadsheets are fully customizable for your needs. Tiller makes them even better with an automatic daily feed of your spending, balances, and transactions. Tiller eliminates data entry, multiple account logins, and CSV files. You just connect your banks once and you can see your transactions. They're going to automatically update each day. You set it up once and you don't have to do anything but watch your money and understand better about what's going on. And also, you don't have to hand balance your checkbook like Dr. Brad learned in Home Ec. Mm-hmm. Go to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF for more information. You get a free trial and 20% off your first year. And you get to support money with friends. And we appreciate that. Time for our takeaways. Okay, Dr. Brad, what Uh, Do you want to go first or do you want to have the final word? Um, Sure, I'll go first. So financial literacy, I think we can all agree. Of course, it's an important thing. Um, I I really do think it's great that we're going to be inserting this into the curriculum for all kids uh, because there's so many landmines out there and it's really, really important. And I also want to encourage you, if if you know a child, perhaps you're a parent or a grandparent, um, to really take, take a more purposeful attack at teaching them about personal finance. Now, the great thing about being a parent and being closely related to these young people is you can actually structure things to teach them. So it can be more experiential type learning. And so one of the missed opportunities for many parents is this thing called allowance. And a great way to, and I just started this with my um, six-year-old, 
you know, I, I thought, sat and thought, like, what do I want him to know moving into the future? What, what are the values I want him to have? And so we broke up his allowance into investing, saving, um, spending and giving. And he has four different jars. And so every week we allocate his allowance to those jars. And it's, it's a great opportunity for me to teach him the value of all those things. Um, and we're going to open up an um, investment account for him just to expose him to that too. And I know for him moving into adulthood, this is just going to be the normal way you do money. This is just going to be the reality around money. Um, most parents though, if we're not thinking about it, look, I'm a parent. It's, it's like, of course, we there's so much to think about. It's easy not to think about a lot of important things. Um, but if you give allowance to kids and then they just blow all the money, you got to think about what you're teaching them. You're teaching them money comes in and you spend it all right now on on something that tastes good or looks shiny. Um, so not not advocating that as, as parents, because even though they're getting that education at school, and even if you're terrible with money yourself. So this is one of the reasons why parents avoid teaching their kids. They have shame around it. Look, you don't have to be perfect around it and still teach your kids what you know they need to know. Um, and depending on their age, you can even be somewhat forthcoming about mistakes you've made in the past. And I don't want you to repeat these mistakes. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's it's an exciting thing to see this happening in the schools. And it's sort of a call to action, I think, to parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anyone who knows children to also take part of that education. I love that. And I love the fact that you're putting those practices in yourself. We've done that with my son, the Save, Spend, Give, which I think we got the idea from The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber, um, which is such a great book. And that was really successful, although he he pushed back sometimes on the giving, which was frustrating, but at least we could have that discussion. but that's such so important. And it also points out that the schools can do a lot, but parents, we also have to do a lot as well. My takeaway is that while I don't like the reason this is finally getting more attention, because you may recall the piece talked about that this growing interest in financial education is driven by concern about student debt. So that's not a good reason, as well as the rise of the gig economy and the shift from employer-provided pensions, which you talked about, Brad, um, to these market-based retirement accounts at least we are moving in the right direction. At least we're acknowledging that we need this knowledge, that we need to bring back financial literacy programs, and that this is a big society problem. It's not about the individuals. It's about all of us. Because if we as a nation keep racking up all of the student debt, it's going to be something that is going to hurt all of us going forward. And we don't want that for us, for our children, and the future generations. So I love that this is actually coming to the forefront and hopefully continuing to gain traction. How'd I do? Great. Love it. <laughs> I'm glad we agree. <laughs> yes. We, maybe we won't always agree, but you'll be back with us in about a month for two more episodes. So we're looking forward to that. In the meantime, where can people um, catch up with you and learn more about everything that you're up to? Yep. So my website, bradklontz.com is all about Brad Klontz. <laughs> and I'm at Dr. Brad Klontz on social media. So anywhere you are, I'm probably am. So I'd love to meet with you there. And you're also on TikTok and YouTube, which I I like I I don't I'm not on TikTok yet. Um, I don't want to ruin it because I'm so old that I'll ruin it because it's all the kids on there, kids and Dr. Brad. But um, I love your YouTube channel, and I think you have a lot of really fascinating videos. And I'm always afraid to go on that because I will go down the rabbit hole and keep watching and watching and watching because they're so good and they're really informative and really fun. So I encourage everyone to check them out. Thank you. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Brad and all of our amazing season three thought leaders, go to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can see thought leaders, that tab. If you want to see the articles that we talk about, go to the calendar area there and you can see under the day that the show is first released, you'll see a link to the articles that we speak about. And if you want to be part of our Instagram polls, follow us on Instagram. 
what is our handle there? Oh, at Money Friends Pod. And you will often get previews of the stories we're talking about. And we'd love to have you there as well. Final thoughts, Dr. Brad? Um, nope. Thank you very much for being, having me here. Looking forward to next time. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. We'll see you next time on Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.